Tomorrow's Wall Street Titan might be an AI bot. 40% of all open job roles in finance today are for AI-related hires, and almost half of firms cite AI as a way to improve customer experiences. Find out more about the impact of AI on finance later in the podcast. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's just say this isn't your typical Airbnb. Hello, Hello, how are you doing? I'm Emily Chang, and this is The Circuit. When Brian Chesky said he was going to start renting his own home on Airbnb, I got to be honest, I didn't quite believe it. Turns out he meant it, at least for now. This is the first time me or any journalist set foot in Chesky's home, and I had some questions. Just what can a guest expect from a stay with the CEO of Airbnb? Warriors game? Check. These are 10 star cookies. Really? 10 star cookies. Uh, I was was skeptical. I know. Chocolate chip cookies? Check. But we also go deep on his journey from young art student to multi-billion dollar entrepreneur to hoping for a family of his own. The exhilarating highs of it all and the lonely lows. He says Airbnb's darkest moment may well be what saved it, and him. Here's my conversation with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky, with a few cameos from Sophie, his favorite golden retriever. What's it been like playing host so far? Oh my God, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, I'm a co-host. I got Sophie Supernova. <laughs> True. She's a nearly one year old, a two year old golden retriever, uh-huh. and it's been cool because I haven't really hosted that much since the early days. I was one of the first two hosts in 2007. And for the last maybe five years, I hadn't hosted. Mm -hmm. And last year, I started living in Airbnb because I wanted to show people you can live and work anywhere. And so the first six months of the year, I'm living in Airbnb, I'm traveling, I'm staying home to home. And I had a goal in my mind. I said, before the end of the year, I want to be a host. Mm. And I only have this house. This is like your primary house, right? This This isn't your extra house. I don't have a second house. And so if I had a second house, my instinct would have been to rent that one and not this one, Mm -hmm. but I had no other house. And I thought a little initially, oh, this is a little crazy. Like a little crazy, I'm a stranger in my house. And then I realized, wait a second, that's what like millions of people have to go through. And I I put myself back in the shoes of my old self or a host. And I had to go through the journey of what's it gonna be like to let someone in my house Mm -hmm. and what am I gonna, what I'm gonna ask them, how are gonna my screen guest and, and I started really looking at our verification program and our reservation screening and like, is this really? And, and I felt really good about it. And so then I started hosting. Well, thanks for having us. Of we'll course. Be on our best you behavior. Being. But, you. you know, you're kind of busy. You're running a multi-billion dollar company. Like, what made you want to make time for this? I think two things. I think, number one, again, I never wanted to be one of those CEOs that's kind of an ivory tower just looking at data and spreadsheets all day. You know, when you build a product, when you first build a company, you make something usually for yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have many users, so you talk to them. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the product every day. And then one day you wake up and you're running a giant corporation, if this happens, if you're so lucky, and then the company becomes a series of numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for business leaders to never reduce their customers mm-hmm. to a number. 
you don't want to get emotionally detached. Mm. People aren't just numbers. They're people. Mm -hmm. And they make decisions. And they have to love your service. And if they love your service, they're going to tell other people about it. And that means that you need to be emotionally connected to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Understand when hosts are complaining about something or your customer is complaining, what do they mean? Mm -hmm. Do you have a deep, intuitive understanding of what they're talking about? So that's the, that was like the main reason I did it. But then there was another reason I wasn't expecting, which was it's fun. Mm -hmm. Like, is it real? I mean, it's it time you you're giving people the full court press. Like, I feel like you're staying thing. a couple days, oh, like the whole taking thing. them out in the city. And I, I'll be honest, I wouldn't intuitively have thought it would be fun. I didn't like grow up wanting to be a host. Mm -hmm. It was one weekend. I, 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 you know, and so I kind of discovered hosting. Mm. And I guess this whole experience reminded me of how much fun it was. And if I wasn't the CEO of Airbnb, I would still host. Hmm. That's how much I've decided it's really fun. Hmm. It's like you have this nice house. Don't you want to share it with people? And but these family, are strangers, right? These are people you don't know. They arrive as strangers, and I'm really proud that they do usually leave as friends. I'm actually hmm. one of the guests I'm taking to Warriors game because he's actually local. But Wow. Yeah, so we, 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 I try to stay in touch with my guests. Okay. It was crazy to think you were going to rent your house to a stranger or yeah. that you were going to stay in some totally. stranger's house. And now it's just what we do. Yeah. Does the level of human openness to that idea still surprise you? A lot of people ask me, like, what did you know that no one else knew in the early days? Mm. Like Paul Graham, our first mm. investor, said a founder usually has to have some insight that no one else has. Otherwise, why are you doing this? What do mm. you know that no one else knows? Because mm -hmm. if it's nothing, then someone would have already done this. And what I like to tell people is, I think I'm less a visionary than an expeditionary in the sense that I didn't have a vision. I discovered something. One weekend I couldn't pay rent. I decided to let people in my house only to make money for the most part. I thought it'd be fun. And I ended up becoming <laughs> friends with these people. And it made me realize that like these homes are these private spaces that you, you'd never let anyone in. And if you were like an alien looking down on earth and you realize all these, there's all these houses mm -hmm. that people live in, but then all these other people travel, but they don't stay in those things. They stay in these other spaces mm -hmm. in these one district and they all stay together. You kind of look at that model and say, it seems a little inefficient, mm -hmm. but you understand why there's no trust. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, if we could solve a system of trust and make them not feel like strangers, this would be an idea that spread on the world. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It's like so counterintuitive. It's so funny. I like to joke that people could imagine living on Mars easier than they can imagine somebody's laying a stranger in their home. Mm. It, 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 you just really think about it. I think we have trouble imagining sociological changes, sometimes harder than technological mm -hmm. changes. Mm. We can all imagine things getting bigger, faster, kind of moving kind of to more like to other locations, but it's hard to imagine us changing behavior. But Airbnb has actually been a big part of like maybe a major sociological change. Probably. I mean, it's been now been used 1.4 billion times. Mm. And if you had told me when we first started that 1.4 billion people from 220 countries and regions would live together, that on a typical night, we'd have nearly the population of Los Angeles mm. staying together. People from the Middle East and Texas, like mm. cultures you wouldn't necessarily think mixing together, mm -hmm. coming together. I think we all would have said you were crazy. Like I remember somebody, I remember in the early days used to tell people, this idea is going to be huge. One day, thousands of people will do it. And I think that sums up what we thought. But I think that like maybe, Emily, the lesson is, you know, I think we're conditioned to think people aren't good. Yeah. And some people aren't, maybe at some basic level. But I, I guess I just, maybe I was, maybe I was too naive to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Because I kind of just was optimistic. And I thought most people are fundamentally good. We're probably actually 99% the same. 
And I know that can sound naive, but I actually think we probably have more data than almost any experiment in human history. Mm -hmm. There's never been an experiment where more people have lived together. Mm -hmm. And yes, occasionally things happen that, are, that aren't unexpected, but that's not the part that surprised me. The surprise me is how similar people mm -hmm. are. And I think that was one of the core insights that we had. And it's like most tech companies have to understand laws of physics. We call these first principles. Mm -hmm. And we also have to know a different law, which is a law of human nature. Like, who are we at a very basic level? And if you can start to understand that, then you can start to design for people. Well, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. You know, we've talked so many times over the years about the business, about yeah. new products, milestones, and hopefully there'll be many more years for that. Yeah. But what's a day in the life of Brian Chesky outside the office? Like, what do you what do you do? Like a aside typical... from Airbnb. <laughs> There's like a few things I really like to do. I like to, I try to exercise. When I first started Airbnb, I didn't really exercise a lot and I noticed the more exercise, the more energy I have. Mm. Sophie and I like to go on adventures together. Last year, I went to like 18 different cities. Mm. I stayed in a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Ann Arbor, Michigan, for example, a life, lifelong like desire I've had. Mm -hmm. I like drawing. I think I have some sketchbooks around the house. I could, we could show my art later. I, I guess the other thing is I like connecting with friends. Mm -hmm. So I like, I like to learn, I like to draw, I like to hang out with people I care about, and I like to travel. Mm -hmm. I guess those are the things I do. You know, obviously the pandemic hits, travel comes to a screeching oh. hall, your, the majority of your revenue oh, yeah. almost vanishes. Also, nobody wants to see other people. Right. In that moment, did it feel like you were standing on the edge of a cliff? I remember asking my mom a question, she reminds me, I said to her at some point during the Beth of pandemic, I said, do you think people ever want to travel again? I mean, I, of course I thought they would, but I had no idea how long it would take. I mean, I thought we had made it before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a business that was doing like, let's call it $35 billion mm -hmm. in sales. That's about similar, that's more than Starbucks. That's mm -hmm. almost like the size of Nike. Mm -hmm. If you had told me in like the 1980s growing up, we'd have a business that big, I'd be like, you're totally crazy. Mm -hmm. I thought we're making, we're working IPO. And then within a decade that happens. To then lose 80% of it in eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I mean, you remember there were articles like, is this the end of Airbnb? Will Airbnb exist? And I gotta tell you, like that changed my life. And it changed my life and the company for the better. How? You ever hear people say that they had a near-death experience and they had this moment of clarity? Well, thankful I've never had that, but I felt like I got that clarity from mm -hmm. a business perspective. Mm -hmm. How did you change as a person? I like to joke that I'm 41 going on 61. <laughs> Because is that a good thing? We'll see. My hair is a little grayer, <laughs> but um, I think I think it is a good thing in this case. I think I really grew up during the pandemic. Mm. I really grew up, and the reason I grew up is because I think I felt my responsibility more. Like we all probably walk around every day with responsibility, but like you know, you don't feel your responsibility to feel the edges of it. Like till you feel people depending on you. Mm. And in one moment, I had every stakeholder like depending on me. Mm. Employees were worried about their jobs. Investors were worried about their investment. Guests were worried about if they can get their money back when they're traveling. You know, hosts were worrying about like if they're gonna ever be able to keep their home. And then communities worrying about how are we gonna house all these nurses and firefighters and doctors. And they were all reaching out to me at the same time. And not in a low key composed way. Mm. You know, it was like there was a lot of fear, a lot of concern. And I think in that moment, it was like, a total growing up experience. And it was almost like a bell rung in my head. And I remember my board member, uh, Ken Chenault, who's the CEO of Amex, mm -hmm. 
he was CEO during 9-11 in, two, um, in the financial crisis 2008. So he's certainly been through crisis. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, I've been through two of the biggest crises of my lifetime, and this is 10 times bigger than mm -hmm. either of them. Mm -hmm. He said, this is your defining moment as a CEO. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm gonna be defined by this crisis, mm -hmm. and it's gonna be on our terms. Mm -hmm. I think before the pandemic was a little bit the nice guy that could be a little conflict averse, and that mm -hmm. makes me like want to appease people and like not want to make hard decisions. You said yes to too many things. I said yes to too many things, and it's, it, it was on me. You know, the CEO has to say no. Steve mm -hmm. Jobs used to say focusing is not about saying yes, mm -hmm. it's about saying no. Mm -hmm. Well, I had to learn to say no to a lot of things, and some of them were pretty heartbreaking, but you have to make hard decisions. And that's, I think, what ended up happening, is I just think I saw clarity. We made a lot of hard decisions. I grew up by feeling my responsibility. I got more disciplined, mm -hmm. we got more disciplined, and I think I had lessons that have now been seared in my brain and I'm never gonna forget them. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't go through something like that without it permanently changing you. What are the lessons? So the first thing I learned is who people really are. Mm -hmm. The good news is that the vast majority of people turned out to be great people. Still good. Still good. <laughs> you can also learn a lot about yourself in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the hardest thing to manage the crisis is your own psychology. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned how to manage my own psychology. I learned how to be focused like never before. I also learned how to run a company totally differently. Mm -hmm. Because when you, when you like never seen money before in your life, I'm like, $100,000 is more money I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. We raised billions of dollars. You personally made billions of dollars. Yes, and we raised billions of mm -hmm. dollars. And we have it in the bank account. And so it's easy to say yes to things. Mm -hmm. I learned to say no, I learned to be focused. I learned to focus the entire company and point them, every single person, to one direction. Mm -hmm. And I learned to stop apologizing about how I wanted to run the company. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize until after the crisis that I spent five to 10 years apologizing every step of the way or negotiating how I wanted to run the company. Because mm -hmm. you hire people and they come from Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and they bring their way with them. Mm -hmm. And what I realized I was doing was trying to find some midpoint between how I wanted to run the company and how they wanted to run the company, which actually made everyone miserable. Mm -hmm. I had to go into wartime mode, and the crazy thing was is as I took more command, more control, became more decisive, more bossy, so to speak, I think people were happier because they had clarity and direction. Mm -hmm. I think those are some lessons I learned. And then the tide turned, or maybe it's like the Titanic didn't hit the iceberg. Totally. You know, you go public, Airbnb goes public. Yes. The end of 2020. I'm interviewing you live. That was the television. most memorable interview I've ever done. Your shares double before the market even opens. Yes. And you can't even speak. Like, you're completely tongue-tied. I actually yeah. want, you to, I want you to watch it. Okay. Um, every time I watch it, I'm, I like, yeah, it's such a moment on your opening price, uh, shares indicated to open right now at $139 a share, which is more than double <laughs> what you priced at. I mean, are you at all concerned about froth? What do you think about that number and the potential uh, that you're leaving billions of dollars on the table? That's the first time I've heard that number. Um, that is, that's a. I, you know, when we, in April, we raised money, um, and it was a debt financing. Oh my God. It, 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 that price would have priced us around 30 bucks. So I, I don't know what else to say. It, it's that, that's a, that's a, that's a very, that, that's, um, that is, yeah, I'm very humbled. By wow. It. And, um, you know, we know that we're on a very long journey 
and um, we're, we're going to be very, very focused. It's obviously, today is a very special day for everyone. But, uh, you know, the, the, wow. the higher the stock price, the higher expectations, the harder we're going to be working, obviously. Wow. I haven't watched that in a long time. Wow. That actually makes me a little emotional. What's going through your head in that moment? I think that moment, the, it was like my hard drive crashed. And I think it's that, like, the pandemic happens. March 15th, Ides of March, we have this emergency board meeting. All of a sudden I realized like this is gonna be a 24 hour thing. And every day I would wake up, put on sweatpants, like go right to the computer. I would like shower at night, my schedule is so crazy. I wouldn't leave my house. And I probably worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I probably never stopped at any point to think of anything. I was just one day after day. In that moment, I had to think about everything. The whole year, it was like, you took a whole year and you made it like a 15 second trail run. I was like, oh my God. And it just, I, maybe at that moment it all hit me. This is just so crazy. The interview went viral. It did. <laughs> People could see it hit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My eyebrows went to the top of my head and um, I didn't know they went that high. That was, um, but yeah, that was, that was one of the most surprising moments of my life. I'm not usually speechless. Yes, you're normally quite eloquent. I, I did not know what to say. I guess I'm also, thinking back now, I feel so lucky mm -hmm. because I did not manage the crisis on my own and I kind of felt like I had the wind in my back as if like people were working with me and helping me, people I knew. And I kind of felt like I had a lot of benefit of the doubt that like maybe people were rooting for us and maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but it felt like People could have made it a lot harder if they wanted to and they didn't. Employees, like very few employees resigned um, after, I mean, they could have, like they could have gone to go work at Google or like who wants to work at a travel company pandemic? You know, the board stuck by me. My founders gave me so much support. Hosts kept listing. They didn't take their listings down. Hmm. I remember in the depths of my darkness, you know, people were writing articles, will Airbnb exist? I would get text messages from former employees. We, I want Airbnb to still exist. And I remember asking, like, well, why? Like, why, other than having emotional attachment, like, why do you want it to exist? I think the best answer I heard was, because if you don't do what you're doing, no one else will. Mm. Like, there's many sites that, you know, you can get a house or you can travel on vacation, but there was something a little different about Airbnb. There's not a lot of designers running companies that have this creative mm -hmm. spirit. There's this idea of, like, real, the, the roots of Airbnb around connection, people living together. That doesn't really exist anymore on any other platforms. So that was like pretty moving to me. And um, I mean, 2020 was an intense and emotional year and that was the capstone. Connecting human-led responsible AI with rich data sets is driving financial innovation in new and unexpected ways. Imagine a bank that uses AI to help detect fraud or a personalized financial planning tool that knows when you want to retire and where. Pretty amazing, right? But financial services companies need a secure and resilient network to support AI architecture. With the Next Level Network from AT&T Business, AI data travels at low latency through reliable, fast connectivity. So financial leaders can focus on what matters most, a better future for their businesses and their customers. Learn about connected solutions from AT&T Business at att.com slash y hyphen att hyphen business. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Do you ever think about what would, where Airbnb would be if the pandemic didn't happen? Yeah, it's almost scary to think about. We wouldn't be here today. That's the crazy thing. Like, your culture is often forged in your darkest moments. Mm. I, I think people think of culture as like, you know, the perks, the yoga, per, like the yoga, free food, snacks. Kombucha. Kombucha. No, culture are the shared behaviors that you all have. Mm-hmm based on lessons you've learned together. And the lessons you remember most are during the moments of trials and tribulations, the things that forge you. We basically made like five years of progress in like six months. Mm -hmm. And I I think we would have never reached the potential that we can now reach because the whole trajectory of the company changed. There's really before the pandemic and after the pandemic. There's me before the pandemic and after the pandemic. It would have taken me a decade to get to this point Mm -hmm. without the pandemic. You know, I think that you have to rise to an occasion and you can't ask for an occasion like that. You can only hope that if it happens, you will rise and you know, you can't know until it happens. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of founders, CEOs step back, whether it's you know, Amazon, Google, Twitter, Pinterest, Slack. Yeah. You're still here. I think when I was starting out, I think I was afraid to run a giant company because it didn't seem fun. It didn't seem how many people go to work at a giant company. I love working at this giant company. There's the thing that's most surprised me is I have more excitement today than I did when I was in Y Combinator. Mm. The job today Mm. as a public company CEO is more fun than the job as a private company CEO. I feel like I often hear the opposite. You often do, and there's maybe all sorts of lessons because you know by the time you run a public company, you're negotiating everyone. You're trying to appease shareholders, you're trying to appease employees, you're negotiating. And I learned that if you can just listen to yourself and be true to you and not apologize for who you wanna be, then actually you might make everyone happier anyway. Like we stopped, I stopped obsessing over making money and we ended up generating three and a half million free cash flow. There's a paradox there. And so I have more fun than I ever had But I also think there's two other possible explanations, Emily. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we're very long-term oriented, and that means we tend to be relationship-oriented. I'll give you one data point. We did like every financing round we did when we were raising money, we never took the highest price. And that's unusual, because we always tried to get the most value out of an investor. And I don't let people say that, but we tried to do. I don't try to win a negotiation because I'm like, listen, this is our first negotiation, but we might do another deal in 10 years. So I want to think of have a real relationship with you. And I think the other thing is you got to be like, it's all about how fast you learn. I like to tell entrepreneur, think of the growth of your company. You have to grow faster than that. And if you don't grow fast in your company, then your company is going to be pulling you mm-hmm. and then you're going to eventually be holding it back. Mm-hmm. As you have to basically be this beginner constantly learning, constantly absorbing every single thing. None of us, there's no manual to have be an entrepreneur. And the problem is if you were to write one, it would be outdated the moment it's printed because the rules keep changing. Mm-hmm. I think about Steve Jobs coming back to Apple, bringing it out of a death spiral, and I'm sure everyone would agree it mattered that he was there. Yeah. But does it ever feel like this immense responsibility that you have to stay, or does it feel like a burden? If I wasn't enjoying it, that probably would. But if people told me you have to stay, I would, it wouldn't affect me, not, it wouldn't affect me at all. I only want to keep doing this if I'm the best person mm-hmm. to do this. 
And the interesting thing is the longer I do it, the more I probably become the best person because I have both the history of the founder, uh, being a founder that you can never replace. Mm -hmm. And my biggest weakness was probably I was young and I didn't have a lot of experience, but now I have that too. So, so long as I'm still the best person, I want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. I think that our day is just getting started. So phase one, product market. Phase two, hyper growth. Phase three, become a public company and like generate profit and be a real company. Phase four, reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get jealous, like looking at your co, your peers who have left their companies and they're moving on with the next phase of their life? Not even close. No, no, no. I don't love vacation all the time. <laughs> I have a vacation company. I mean, I mean, I, I, I love traveling to Airbnb, but I, I, I don't. I, 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 I like to live vicariously through my friends who like kind of leave the company. I like hearing what they do and pretend that I'm like them. But I also know that like, I don't think I would be good at mm -hmm. doing that. Somebody asked me like, why are you doing analytics? You don't need to make more money. And I mm -hmm. said, well, you wouldn't ask a painter why do they still paint. You wouldn't ask mm -hmm. a musician why they still make music. You wouldn't ask an athlete why they still play the sport. And I like to think of myself more as like an artist or designer. I mean, I know ostensibly I'm an entrepreneur and a business person, but I think of myself as kind of designing and making. And the reason I like have more fun now is because now it's more creative than it used to mm -hmm. be. There's a period where you start a company, it's creative, you're making stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you get successful, and the problem with being successful is now everything's breaking. You have all these responsibilities, and, you, and you're just you're reacting all the time. And some people said, it's like jumping off a cliff, assembling the airplane on the way down, and you're like an emergency room triage doctor. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of past that point. We still have our challenges, but now we can have ideas. We have this giant community, it's been used a billion and a half times, we handle like over $100 billion to the platform both directions. We have like over 100 million verified identities. We have a brand that's a noun of urban pop culture. We have one of the most talented teams in the world. If I'm not having fun and if I can't imagine something new to do, mm -hmm. then my God, how else am I gonna find meaning in yeah. life? That, that's awesome. Are you an artist designer first and CEO second? Is that what you would say? Probably, probably. I, I would like to be remembered as a designer first and an entrepreneur CEO second. Mm. And the reason why is, I mean, I'd like to either redefine what a CEO could be as a person that came from a creative field as a designer, or maybe, more importantly, redesign what a designer could mm. be. That a designer could design not just a thing, they could design a company. Mm. And I don't know, is it, I think, I, think, I think you're always what you were growing up. You know, there's mm -hmm. something about what you were growing up that's always in your heart. And probably I approach problems more like a designer than a CEO, mm -hmm. although I probably set the intersection. Mm -hmm. And how does that change the company? How is that mentality infused into the company? I mean, I get the sense you're very involved in the details. Extremely. Is that Charles, a good or a bad thing? <laughs> uh, if you ask me or my employees, <laughs> it, it depends. I have like books like this Frank Lloyd Wright book here, right? Mm -hmm. My favorite architect, or Charles and Ray Eames, two of the great industrial designers of the 20th century. Charles Eames said, the details aren't the details, they make the product. And I am absolutely involved in the details. I think design is not just how something looks, it's how it fundamentally works. Mm -hmm. I think design, you know, is really about, like, understand, it's about simplifying something. Mm -hmm. And people think simplifying is removing things, and it's not. Simplifying is understanding something so deeply that you can get to the essence of something. Mm -hmm. And to understand something deeply, you have to be very multiplicitary. You have to have a very holistic view of everything. And so I think what we do is we make the context complex simple. 
we think in terms of systems. I mean, the definition of design is really typically, you would say it's a better way to assemble something to achieve a task. And so I'm assembling people, systems, to achieve a task more efficiently. And I love almost like the jigsaw puzzle. Even like how we became profitable. I like, I, we kind of designed the PL. Mm. You know, like most people cut, we didn't cut, we designed. Mm. And you can never save as much money by cutting as by designing. Because mm-hmm. cutting, you're just like lopping things up. Mm-hmm. But designing says, well, instead of cutting all these expenses, what if we just thought about the whole operation differently mm-hmm. to have fewer parts, fewer components? And it really takes creativity to do that. And that's just one example. So I think of myself as a designer that way. I mean, over the years, you've really emphasized you know, the values of Airbnb, whether it's community or connectedness. Yeah. What does it take to make something that people really love? Oh, that's such a good question. When I joined Y Combinator, the first day, they give you a T-shirt. It's a great T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And it says, make something people want. Mm-hmm. And if you get an exit, they send you a black t-shirt. And it says, I made something people want. And that was something that always stuck with me, mm-hmm. that I just need to make something people want. And I think the way you make something that people want is you first, you, you, uh, you have to care about people. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand people. Mm-hmm. And so I like to put myself in the shoes of the person. Mm-hmm. We did this thing 10 years ago. I named it Snow White after the movie Snow White. Snow White was basically the advent of the storyboard. And basically it was a feature like animated film. Walt Disney is one of my heroes. He basically, this film was so long, he had a storyboard. And I said, why don't more businesses do that? Why don't businesses understand who their customer is, storyboard the experience, and then try to put themselves in the shoes of that person and imagine what are they going through? At what moment do they need to be surprised and delighted? At what moment do they need to be reassured? And just every single opportunity is a detail that you could perfect. Mm-hmm. By the way, those ads, you wouldn't believe how many like reviews I'm in with those. I review every song, every ad, every photo. Like we do reviews every single week. We look at like dozens and dozens of ideas and concepts to get the exact right idea. Talk about being in the details. Oh yeah. I mean, is your team like should we invite Brian or not? If they had the choice, that, you're presuming they have a choice. I like um, to say only I can cancel the reviews, just in case. Well, let's be clear. I don't intend to be in the details of everything forever, right. but you have to teach. It's like I'm a coach, and I'm like trying to teach a level of detail and excellence. And I think people model themselves after the leaders. I think there's this like idea that I think is a bit of a myth that great leaders hire great people and empower them to do great work. And that sounds great, but they're missing something. Mm. And what they're missing is you gotta be in the details of the people. It's not micromanaging, it's auditing and understanding mm-hmm. what they're doing. I have a board, they audit everything I do. They're aware, Doesn't they're not telling me what to do, but they're aware. So I don't tell people what to do, but I'm aware of everything they do. And I wanna lead by example, because I want every single employee in the company to be in the details. Mm-hmm. That's our culture, mm-hmm. to be in the details, because that teaches us a sense of care, craft, expertise, that flows through everything. Mm. And by the way, I didn't do it this way for 10 years. There's a fine line between micromanaging being in the details in a good way and a bad way, right? Yeah, and I, and I, I, know, I don't think that like, I think that micromanaging is like telling people exactly what to do. I don't tell mm. those people what to do with the ads. Mm. I just look at work and I tell them what I'm feeling, what I'm not feeling, mm. I'm brainstorming things, and then they'll come back with a totally different idea. Mm. I like to hold people to a really high standard, and so I expect so much of my team, but I like to tell them, I never want you to do something I don't think you can do. So if I'm telling you you can do better, what I'm really saying is I believe in you, and I mm. believe you can do more. Mm. And I think the role of a leader is to constantly 
be reaching for some ideal. Mm-hmm. You're reaching for a vision of a world as it could be. You're reaching for an ideal. And then you're hopefully seeing potential in people maybe they don't even see in themselves. And if you're a good leader, you will get that potential out of them. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the whole thing. Um, we talked about the mostly good things that Airbnb yeah. has created. Bad things happen. Yes. Bad things happen in Airbnbs. I'm sure you remember the Bloomberg her- headline. Yeah. Airbnb is spending millions of dollars to make nightmares go away. How has Airbnb grown from those situations? And what's your sort of, what's your sort of <coughs> North Star when dealing with the bad things? Yeah. Well, I think our first North Star is to do anything we can for somebody if something bad happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, our first North Star is to do everything we can to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And if something were to happen, I always like to say we should do more than is expected of us, mm-hmm. not what is expected or less than mm-hmm. is expected. And so, you know, I remember the first... Well, the indication was like, oh, you're like sliding these things under the rug. Oh, no, we're not trying to slide anything under the rug. We're just trying to go above and beyond. We have a dedicated um, safety team within customer service, and I've instructed them very carefully that you should always do more than expected with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in the service business. If something horrible happens, you need to go above and beyond what service. And so... We do spend millions of dollars, but we spend millions of dollars because we have an Airbnb guarantee called AirCover that protects you $3 million against property damage, a million dollars of personal liability. You know, we try to do whatever we can to go above and beyond. And I think I would always try to imagine, like, what would like I expect somebody to do if something were horrible and I were in that position? And I, I really try to make sure that that's the culture of the company, that we go above and beyond. And uh, so that's what we're focused on. Tech is going through a tumultuous time. Oh, yeah. People are getting laid off, tens of thousands of people getting laid off in waves. How do you think about how Amazon and Meta and other companies are handling these layoffs? I haven't like read all the letters. I like that they're like being pretty transparent. You know, we obviously had to go through a layoff and I always felt like when I would read some of these corporate communications that like they weren't written from by people. Mm-hmm. They seemed to be like written by committees. Mm-hmm. And it felt like maybe a bunch of lawyers, HR people had sanded the edges off the person to the point where the person speaking wouldn't actually talk like that. And it's maybe to no fault of anyone, except maybe they're like managing risk and they took something off a shelf, like a playbook. And I always thought I'd rather say the wrong thing, but people think I really said it, than to say the right thing and you don't even think it was me and I care. Mm. And so the first lesson I had in the pandemic was any communication I write. I don't have people write it for me. I might have someone, like a couple people look at it, but I'm going to write it. You write your own stuff. I write everything that comes from my name I write. I write everything. I don't have people writing drafts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of CEOs, a lot of CEOs don't write anything that they have their name on. I think that's the first problem. You've got to write it yourself. The second thing is, I think when you do a, like a layoff, if you're going to cut, you need to cut once, and therefore you better cut deep enough. Mm-hmm. Try to avoid doing multiple layoffs. I think... Multiple layoffs can be very difficult from a cultural standpoint because if there's more than one, then people can't trust they'll ever they'll ever end. And the company is like in a paralyzed standstill if that happens. Mm-hmm. I think the next thing is that you should, again, in any crisis, you should always do more than expected. So I would recommend doing more severance mm-hmm. than is even intuitive. Mm-hmm. And whatever it costs you, you're probably going to win it back in goodwill. And the employees staying are going to notice how you treat the employees leaving. And whatever dollar you spend on a person leaving, you're going to get more than that dollar back through the effort of the people staying. And that's what I got. And I also think it requires creativity. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, a couple people on our team, my co-founder came and he said, why don't we take our recruiting team 
and make them like an outplacement to help get other people get jobs. Mm-hmm. And someone else said, wait a second, if people are getting laid off, why don't we let them, if they want, opt into a directory where other people could reach out to them. So we publish a directory. But no one wants to reach out to people if they think it, they were the bad people that got fired. So you have to give them dignity. So you have to write in your communication that like these are great people, others are lucky to have them. And then the final thing is I used a word that no one ever used in the layoff, and the word is love. I said, I really feel love for all of you. And I just wrote what I felt at that moment. I wrote it, I felt it, no one would ever written that for me. And I think the key is just whatever you feel you say, and like talk like a real person, not a CEO, and maybe in that way. You started Airbnb at the depths of the financial crisis, 2009. Yep. What's your advice to entrepreneurs now? I think this is a great time to start a company. Mm. I think, by the way, if you look at the history of companies like Apple and Microsoft, I think we're starting a down economy. Google emerged during the dot-com crisis. Um, you know, we started during the Great Recession. I know Uber started kind of in the wake of that, but you have less competition. And if your idea is really good and you can make it in a tough economy, you can definitely make it in a good economy. And I think that you learn better lessons with constraints. When there's a free flow amount of money, um, there's just not enough constraints. And I think the discipline of being in a really difficult environment will teach you something. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you should try to, I think, start a company to want to run for a long time, not start a company to sell it. If you run a company for like 10 years or 20 years, you're going to be through multiple recessions. So why don't you build the muscle now? Hmm. I like to tell people the best time to start a company is the moment you're ready. And who cares about the economy? But if it's a bad economy, it's surprisingly easier usually, unless you need a ton of capital to get started. Connecting human-led responsible AI with rich data sets is driving innovation in new and unexpected ways. But financial services companies need a secure and resilient network to support AI architecture. With the Next Level Network from AT&T Business, AI data travels at low latency through reliable, fast connectivity. So financial leaders can focus on what matters most, a better future for their businesses and their customers. Learn about connected solutions from AT&T Business at att.com slash y hyphen att hyphen business. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. So what do you want the next phase of Airbnb to be, say five years from now? I'm in this very unfortunate place where I'm 41 years old and I've achieved more than I ever thought I would at this point in my life, like I, in, my, in my whole life. The biggest entrepreneur is Bob from Bob's Pizza Shop in my town. And so like, I didn't know I could do all this. So I think my motivation has changed. Like when I was starting, like I think like a lot of entrepreneurs were ambitious. We want to show the world we're going to make a dent in the world mm-hmm. and we can be successful. And that doesn't motivate me as much because if I haven't proved that by now, I don't think I ever will. Like no amount of incremental money or status or like showing my like parents or my friends growing up, like it doesn't matter anymore. Like I've already done whatever I'm going to do. And so at some point your motivation has to be something beyond yourself or you, or you're done. 
And for me, it's two things. Number one, a painter paints and I like to create and design and I just love doing it. But I, I feel like at this point, again, we have this brand that the world knows about. I've been able to recruit some of the best people in the world. I, we have all this capital available. We've all these capabilities. It would be such a shame not to use that to solve a very important mm -hmm. problem. And the problem that I'm most concerned about that I think we can help is that I think this is the loneliest time in human history. Mm. It's probably the loneliest time in human history. It's so lonely that if people lived this isolated alone thousands of years ago before modern technology, we'd be dead, right? There's a reason loneliness hurts. It's because- I mean, Some people would say like tech is connecting us all and making us less lonely. I mean, loneliness has been rising in the United States since the 1970s, as far as I can tell. So it's definitely not all tech. But I do think that we need to have a reality check. And the reality check is every new piece of technology feels like an incremental step forward for humanity. Mm. But when you take a step back, you take the aggregate experience, we always have to ask ourselves, are people happier and are they better off? Mm -hmm. And I think life expectancy is up. Fewer people today live in poverty than ever before. There's so many great things. And most of us don't want to live in an era before today. Most people wouldn't choose that. At the same time, with all the technology resources that we have, how good is the world and how good could it be? Mm. The average American spends 10 more hours alone every week than 10 years ago. Mm. So every year we spend more, more, out, more time alone. We're sleeping less, exercising less, spending less time with friends and family. We're, we're doing things in the digital world. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying phones and digital world bad. It's just, it's like a recipe. Yeah. We need to ma marry that with physical community and physical connection. You know, your Instagram followers aren't coming to your funeral. No one changed someone else's mind, YouTube comment section. So we need to marry the best of the digital technology with the best of the physical mm -hmm. world. The promise of AI is gonna be awesome mm -hmm. if we can achieve it, but we should probably stop thinking about technology as a good or bad thing. We should think of technology as power. And is, it's like fire. Fire can cook food and it can burn something down. Mm. Nuclear power can light a city or destroy a city. So this technology is power. Is power good? Depends whose hands it's in. Mm. That's probably the simplest way to think about it. We have all the technology available to us to solve this loneliness problem, to reconnect people, and to solve so many other problems. Mm. So long as we can cooperate and just have this real sensitive responsibility. Mm. And I think the designer in me, you know, we're trained to like have to just be constantly like thinking about the impact we have. And I'll be honest with you, like when I started Airbnb, I wasn't that mindful of the impact Airbnb would have mm -hmm. on the world, on communities. It just kind of grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. And now I've learned a very important lesson, which is if you invent something and you put it in the hands of 100 million people, they're gonna use it for ways you could never have imagined. Mm -hmm. And you have to be honest about that. And mm -hmm. you have to be willing to adapt, mm -hmm. to learn your lessons, to pivot, to navigate. Mm -hmm. And so I am an optimist. And the reason why is I think I'm optimistic ultimately about our ability to learn lessons and guide towards good things. Although it can be a very windy road, I do think we eventually get there. I wish we got there a little faster together. I think everyone wishes that. But I am ultimately an optimist and I do think that um, but I, but I am concerned about the more technology that seems to be available, the more spent time we spend mm -hmm. alone. And we sh therefore, this, the answer is not demonizing technology because then we're pointing fingers. I think the answer is being very honest about what makes us happy and designing things mm. that create those conditions. 
I went the next chapter Airbnb. I want to be less about housing, mm. less about travel, and more about connection, more about bringing people together. Now, it might still involve travel mm. things. It might still involve housing things. Yep. But new things we're going to do are going to be a lot more about bringing people together. All right. Well, here's to new things. New things. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been doing this like 15 years. Yeah. 15 years. That's a long time. This is a long time. Does it ever get, tech standards. Does it ever get like lonely at the top? Oh, yeah. What does that feel like? Well, no one, no one ever told me how lonely it would become. And one day I wake up and I have all these people around me. Yeah. And it was the loneliest I ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. The experience isn't shared. When you're in charge and you're around a lot of people mm-hmm. that you pay, mm-hmm. it, there's a power dynamic. Everyone's depending on you. Mm-hmm. And success that happens really quickly can be a little hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. What makes us happy is knowing that we can have something we don't have. And it's like, we're climbing, we're reaching. Then you realize, oh, I got it's not about what's outside me, it's what's in me. I gotta look inside myself. I had this period of time leading probably up to the pandemic and even in the pandemic where I had to look inside myself like what's going to make me happy like why am I doing this and I also got really isolated in the pandemic I didn't really talk to people it was the loneliest I ever felt and I realized like this can't be the rest of my life so I got really focused on like reconnecting with old high school friends old college friends and I mean it's so crazy like coming from me you can have all the money in the world, all the success in the world, but the thing that makes most people happy is just connections and relationships. You talk about your parents and your family a lot. Do you want a family? Like, do you want Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, I mean, it's probably the one, other than, it's probably the one thing I haven't done, you know? Like, I've done a lot professionally. I got a dog that was a starting. <laughs> I'm like, I, let, me take care of, let me take care of something really, like, like low-key first. Yeah. If you had told me in my 20s what my life would be like at 41, I would have told you I have a family. Maybe I wouldn't be that far in my career. And things happen in a different order. Mm-hmm. And now I have like a huge public company and I don't have a family. And so it kind of makes sense though. Like I did things in a different order and it, the last 15 years has been work and all consuming yeah. Airbnb. Yeah. So is there like a goal for the next phase, the next decade of Brian Chesky? And as long as you're in a constant state of becoming and changing and growing, you're going to be okay. Mm. And I think for us, like, we're in the tech industry. It means we're in the change industry. So we have to change and reinvent ourselves. And that's the one thing we haven't done. We haven't done the next thing Mm -hmm. yet. I don't want to feel like the best idea we had was in my 20s, my friends. I feel like there's more ahead of us. You obviously, you lived around the world in Airbnbs. You've interacted with so many cities and and people in different countries. And... Many of them welcomed Airbnb with open yep. arms, and some are still resisting. Yeah. Why do you think that is? So every city's a community, and every community has many different stakeholders, mm-hmm. and they have many different circumstances. Some cities need more tourism, mm-hmm. and they reach out to us. Other cities have been going through a housing affordability mm-hmm. crisis, and they're very, very sensitive about housing being taken off the market. Yeah. Other cities, they really depend on short-term stays, but they, they want them down a certain frequency. And so the lesson I've learned is you gotta like, there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. You have to treat every city personally. Mm. You have to understand their needs. I mean, it's kind of like what a designer would do and try to make a system for them that works. People think Airbnb is driving up costs, enriching landlords, bringing in floods of tourists, changing the character of a place. Like, what do you say to the people who are like, "I, I hate what this is doing in my community? Well, I never want Airbnb to do anything other than strengthen a community. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really important to never presume that we're the good guys. Mm-hmm. I think we always have to be skeptical about 
is what we're doing. And so, for example, affordable housing. A lot of cities said, you know, we want to have some basic restrictions on how Airbnb can be used in our city. So, so we have like we comply with registration systems mm. for cities. We want to make sure that like cities say they want to be able to mm-hmm. that we have to collect our fair share of taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, we all been instinct to be defensive. Mm-hmm. Say you're doing something. No, I'm not. And you have to ask, well, are we? Yeah. And how could we evolve it and do it differently? So it's constantly like adapting. You know, mm-hmm. the the Airbnb is exacerbating the housing crisis, or the people who think like, oh, this is gentrifying my neighborhood. I can't afford anything. There's not enough places for people to live. Yeah. What's your response to that? I started Airbnb with my co-founder because we couldn't afford to make rent. And so our roots of Airbnb is in providing housing that's more affordable. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of our hosts are renting the home that they live in. But I also want people to know that we want to strengthen communities. Mm -hmm. And if that means that they need to change the way Airbnb exists in their city, we'll have that conversation. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Circuit. I'm Emily Chang. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Chang TV. You can watch full episodes of The Circuit at Bloomberg.com. And check out our other Bloomberg podcasts on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartMedia app, or wherever you listen to shows. And let us know what you think by leaving us a review. I'm your host and executive producer. Our senior producer is Lauren Ellis. Our associate producer is Lizzie Phillip. Our editor is Sebastian Escobar. Thanks so much for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.